Bobby, what's wrong with the car? Uh-oh, I think it's broke. Look, that thing there is all swoped up. We, we got a pair of pliers and a screwdriver. We can find out. I think we should just start poking stuff. Oh, all right. All right. don't do that, folks. Tune into the Grease Gurus. Don't go to the emergency room. Go to the Grease Gurus and learn why your car might have stopped on the side of the road and what not to touch. On Saturday mornings <laughs> from 10 a.m. on the Tan Talk Radio Network. Ouch, that hurt. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio Cars. Let me tell you about my company, Gulfstream Motorsports, 727-541-1741. I have over 35 years' experience with classic, vintage, sport, and racing cars. I do appraisals, consulting, and pre-purchase inspections. Before you buy your next rare classic, the car of your dreams, give me a call at Gulfstream Motorsports, 727-541-1741. Also, due to my 28 years' experience in the auto salvage business, I am very good with wrecks. So if your car has been in a wreck... Call me for a diminished value report. Call me at 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for lost value of your repaired vehicle. That's Gulfstream Motorsports, 727-541-1741. And be sure to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, Wednesdays, 7 to 8 p.m. on the Tantalk Radio Network, AM 1340. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight, NBC, the not bad crowd, proudly present Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In, starring Dan Rowan, Dick Martin. Now, no, come on, let's go to the party. You'd like to come along, too, wouldn't you? Okay. Oh, are still demanding free expression, sexual liberalization, and legalized drugs. But the only thing they're not demanding is jobs. Well, the toy manufacturers have done it again. They have a new war game called Vietnam. It's an adult game played by young people. The rules are impossible to understand, and nobody can win. a nose job, but Harry said it would be like putting a new luggage rack on a 1953 DeSoto. I say we ought to get bingo out of the supermarkets and back into the churches where it belongs. You know, I could have had to lead an ice pie, but they gave it to Robert Cole. that Ronald Reagan dislikes education. It's just that he's not fanatic about it. I say the Republicans stand a chance this year, but they'll probably spoil it by nominating someone. There's one thing I don't quite understand about your political system, you know? Yes, and that, that is that it seems to me you take a lot of very good men and mm. they say some very nasty things to yeah. each other, and then gradually you narrow it down until you've got two yeah. people insulting each other, yeah. and then you elect one of them president. Yeah. And you don't understand that? Uh, not entirely, no. Hmm. Neither do I. <laughs> very interesting. <laughs> but not funny. The ugly people know who they are. 
actually, it's in Idaho. Would you mind saying that again? Idaho? That's frightfully interesting. We pronounce it Ohio. <laughs> MASH was really an effective anti-war film. Do you realize that since it came out, we've only had one war? <laughs> Of course, of course. Medical bills are going up. I mean, this or so are doctors' expenses. I mean, do you know what a set of nine irons plus a new golf bag costs today? <laughs> Hello out there. Peabody and Sherman here. Set the Wayback Machine. We enter the Wayback and we're immediately turtled back through time and space. Hello, this is Brian Johnson of ACDC and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cause. Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers in Google, Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And don't forget to check out Nostalgic Radio and Cars, the archive page, where you can uh, hear all our past shows. Anyway, uh, good evening. We have a uh, new board engineer. I want to welcome to the show, Vaughn. How you doing, Vaughn? And uh, he's got to flip his mic on here for a second, and he's going to say, hello. You can say hello. Hey, how you doing? How you doing? <laughs> he's kind of a car guy. He's got a Mopar out there. Pete's giving him some help. Hey, Pete, how you doing tonight? Don't forget to check out his uh, radio show each Saturday for three hours now, the Sports Web, right? He's going to go ahead and do a plug for himself. Here's Pete's shameless plug for the Sports Web. Yeah, definitely tune in to the evolution of Sports Talk Radio. We give your own walk-up music. We'll let you call in twice, and we don't hang up on you. Like those other sports talk shows do, it's the Sports Web on Saturday afternoon from 3 to 6 on the Tan Talk Sports Network. I'm your host, Peter Blake, giving you something to think about. <laughs> there he goes. Yeah, well, one of these days we'll get him to talk a little bit more about race cars, you know, NASCAR, IndyCar, GT racing, all that other good stuff. So, anyway, all right, so uh, the last couple of weeks we were pretty busy. We've had a lot of stuff going on all these weekends and stuff like that. So, oh, by the way, at the beginning of the show I played a little clip out of the 60s. It was a TV show. It was called Rona Martin's Laugh-In. For those of you that are in your uh, 50s and 60s, you'll probably remember that TV show. It was actually a pretty good show. And uh, that was kind of like a, one of their little segues that they had to the rest of their show. And it was kind of – it opened up where they were all kind of standing around a party and they would just make, uh, you know, off-color comments. So it was kind of cool. So – Anyway, hey, but that's the 60s, man. Yes, I was there, and yes, I remember. Anyway, uh, okay, so a couple weeks ago, let's see, what did we have? We had Sebring, 12-hour race. We can talk a little bit about that. I'll bring up the speed. We had the next day, I went to uh, the Gator Nationals up in Gainesville, hanging out with my friends up there at Amelie Oil. And uh, their car got down to the finals, their top fuel car, and I think McMillan is their driver. Did pretty good, but they had a little issue off the starting line, and you know how it is. In the if you don't have it down the first sixty feet, you're not going to make it. In fact, I think uh, if I had to guess, if I had to guess, Tim from the Grease Guru show on Saturdays was more than likely there because Tim never misses a Gator National, and the Gator National is probably the biggest drag race in the Southeast. Now back in the day, they used to do, and I think it was called the Winter Nationals, and uh, they used to have a, ra- a race at uh, Bradenton Motorsports Speedway, which back in the day was called DeSoto. And then Palm Beach International Raceway, which is PBI. And uh, and on a side note, 
Let's go ahead and go to the FloridaCarshows.com. Let me tell you what's going on here real quick. We have the NSRA, National Street Road Association. We'll have their meet, their annual meet here in Tampa at the fairgrounds, April 6th, 7th, and 8th. Don't forget to check that out. In a couple weeks, there's a big, 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 big swap meet up at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Barrett Jackson will be the week of the 12th through the 15th, and I know you guys are going to want to go there. And then this weekend, if you guys want to join me up at uh, Centrus County, there's a uh, little coffee shop there called the Cattle Dog Cafe, and it's the Citrus County Cars and Coffee. It's pretty cool. So if you want to find out where all this stuff's going on in Florida, all the car shows, definitely check out flacarshows.com, and you can find out about that. Now, even the big stuff like the Gators and uh, the Sebring 12-Hour Race. Now, so what do we got coming up? And then HSR's got an event coming up next month, and it will be in Atlanta. And it's called the Walter Mitty, and it's a vintage race. And if you guys uh, you know, follow the show, you know I'm real heavy into that. Well, let me go back to uh, Sebring 12-Hour Race because uh, that's one of my favorites. That's actually a track that I used to do a lot of sports car racing back in the day. And I had a lot of fun. Back then, I used to run a vintage 911 Porsche. But that's not where I started. I actually started over in Lakeland at the Lakeland International Speedway, which is kind of there, kind of not there. And uh, that's where we had. It's an old drag strip. And in fact, I can recall in the 70s, they had some pretty big drag races. It was an NHRA-sanctioned track, Sunshine Speedway, which is now, uh, I'm not even sure what they call it. Um, anyway, that used to be a uh, sanctioned NHRA-sanctioned track. Uh, DeSoto still is an NHRA-sanctioned track. They have NHRA events there. A couple of weeks ago, they had the National Muscle Car Racing Association event there. And the following week, but we were at Sebring, they had the National... I take it back. It was the National Mustang Racing Association event. And then the week of Sebring, they had the National Muscle Car Association um, event there. Now, in a couple weeks, we're going to have the NMRA and the NM, uh, National Muscle Car Association, NMCA, will be up in Atlanta at uh, the speed track up there, just outside of Commerce, I believe. And they'll be doing the same event up there. In fact, one of our guests is going to be Carl Tasca. And Carl Tasca is synonymous with Tasca Ford. His uh, grand, his cousin or nephew is Bob Tasca the third, and he's racing a top fuel funny car. And uh, but Carl is running a Cobra Jet Mustang now. It is the 50th anniversary of the Cobra Jet Mustang, so we're going to have him on the show. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the history behind Tasca Ford and 50 years 50 year celebration of the. Uh, Cobra Jet Mustang. And, of course, uh, Cobra Jet, that's the 428, came out mid-year 1968. I'm not necessarily a big uh, Cobra Jet fan. I know there's a couple of listeners that are that. I was always into Boss 302s, 351s, Boss 351s. And as far as big blocks go, I kind of like 427s. But it was more of a the shotgun motor, which is the Boss 429. That was the motor that pretty much uh, dominated back in the day. But, you know, hey, all the sanctioning bodies had to put restrictions on it because it would have dusted off the Chevrolet Rat motor, the 427, 454s, and, of course, the infamous elephant motor, the Chrysler 426 Hemi. Yeah, I can say that because I'm partial to Fords, and yeah, I can say that because there's statistics that prove that. In fact, I wish I would have had the opportunity to put Smokey Unic on my radio show because he personally told me that the Ford Boss 429 motor was so fast, so powerful, so strong that Chevrolet's and Mopars would scatter, scatter just trying to keep up with them. So that's that. But anyway, 12-hour race. Uh, let's see who won. Nissan won. Penske was there for the first time in a long time in GT racing, and he was running the uh, 
Acura cars. They did pretty good. They were dominating for the, probably the first four or five or six hours, and then they ran into the mechanical issues. One car was out, and I think that suspension issues were on the other one, so it didn't do very well. Lamborghini, of all things, came in in GTTD class. That was kind of interesting. I uh, was kind of glad to see them out there. Corvette and Porsche did very well. Corvette not so well because Porsche pretty much dominated in the GT class. So, And actually, it was a works car, so... That's the result. Now, I'm not ESPN. I don't really cover sports from the standpoint that I, you know, um, update you on all the stats and stuff like that. But if I've been to an event, uh, I will talk a little bit about that, particularly if I was paying attention. But I was pretty much roaming the pits area, hanging out with the guys with the vintage cars, looking to meet, uh, you know, known drivers. Um, David Hobbs, who will be coming on our show here probably next couple of weeks, legendary British race car driver in uh, GT racing. Uh, pretty pretty dominant in the early part, late 60s, early 70s. He's got a book out now. It's called Hobo, H-O-B-B-O. So he'll be talking about his book. I've got Martin Shore coming on, but i got to read, finish reading a little bit more about his book because he will quiz me on his book. So we have Marty Shore. He used to be with uh, Super Chevy and Chevy Corvette Fever and a bunch of other stuff, but he was really buddy buddies with, uh, with uh, Motion, Baldwin Motion people, Joel uh, Rosen up there. In New York, because that's the part of the world that he's from. So we got some pretty interesting guests lined up for you. And, of course, the usual array of TV show hosts, which uh, I think we got Horny Mike coming on from uh, County Cars. He'll be coming on here not too long in the distant future. And we'll be talking to him a little bit. Now, uh, Vaughn, you can sit there and put the mic on, because now I, gotta, I get to put you on the air for a second there and quiz you. Are You're kind of a car guy, right? Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. You don't have to. What's informal here? So you don't have to say, <laughs> sir. You say, yeah, man. You know, far out, groovy. You know, dig it. Okay. Uh, you watch those TV shows? I do. You do. Actually, yeah. I just watched uh, Counting Cars today. Okay. Well, Danny Coker's been on the show a couple times. Morning Mike's coming on. Uh, actually, when I go out to see him every year, I see those guys. And uh, let's see. Richard Rollins, he's been on our show. You probably watched that. That was on last night. I had a lot of that on. And. Uh, Let's see, Tanner Faust and Adam Ferrara from, uh, let's see, what's that TV show called? Gear, no, uh, Top Gear. Top okay. Gear, yeah. Yeah, they've been on. Pretty much everybody on all the TV shows. Uh, Troy Chapena, who's not a TV show guy, but he's one of the top uh, custom car guys on the planet. He's going to be coming on. And uh, let's see, Steve Strope, he's another one's really good guy. Chip Foose, we had Chip Foose, uh, we interviewed him, but we did a short one with him. Christy Lee, I know you know who she is. She's been on our show. And uh, and uh, let's see, who else? Um, Jared Zimmerman and uh, Lou Santiago, you know, they do uh, uh, Carfix TV, Kevin Bird from uh, Two Guys Garage, so... I mean, the list goes on. I can't even keep track of all of it. But anyway, so now it's 721, and I think we need to throw something on the turntable. Now, since we're on the 60s kick, we got a little uh, theme song from one of the TV shows that we used to watch. But if you caught that clip, there was a comment there uh, by Flip Wilson, no less, because the TV show back in the day was called I Spy, and it featured Robert Culp and Bill Cosby. And, of course, uh, Flip Wilson said, yeah, you know, I could have got that role, uh, but they gave it to Robert Culp. So in other words, that would have been Bill Cosby and, and Flip Wilson, but that never happened. But anyway, go ahead, fire up that song, and hey, you're tuned in to Nostalgia Getting Cars, Don't Touch That Dial, and uh, here's a little 60s uh, TV theme song music for you.
Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kirk, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. All right, so what we did this past weekend, this past weekend, my son and I went to Orlando, and uh, what we did is, actually not in Orlando, went to uh, Tavares. Tavares is also known as the seaplane capital of the world, but there was a antique boat show up there called the Sunnyland Boat Show taking place. And we're going to be talking about it a little bit when our guest comes on here in a little bit. And uh, it's pretty impressive. Um, this year they had not only the really neat wooden boats and seaplanes floating around in and out and taking off and landing on the lake there, which is beautiful up there, Lake Eustace, Lake Harris, but they also had uh, a really cool car show there, some really interesting cars. One car in particular, which I might talk about for a second, was a uh, 1965 or 66 Pontiac Bonneville convertible. And what was unique about that car was a factory four-speed. Okay, that may, in itself may not necessarily be rare, but the fact that under the hood it was powered by a Chevrolet. Now, for those of you guys that don't, much, no, don't know much about Canadian Pontiacs, some have different names. Like, for example, their top-of-the-line car would have been called a Parisian, where we would have had a Bonneville. But I think that didn't change until later. So this is a Bonneville, but it was a factory four-speed car. had the knee-knocker tack, which is something unique to a Chevelle, but the tack was over on the driver's side right by the door. The shifter that was in the car was more or less also a Chevelle-style shifter, not a full-size uh, Chevrolet Impala, but a Chevelle-style. And But what was under the hood was a 427 Chevrolet motor. Now, the full-size Pontiac in Canada is not a wide-track Pontiac like it is here in the United States. It's actually built on a full-size Chevrolet frame. The full-size Chevrolet frame is uh, is um, um, a little bit narrower than the Pontiac frame. So, But anyway, so this was a factory 427, four-speed car, tack-engaged car, beautiful car, stunning color, but most importantly, it was a convertible. So that made the car very, very, very unique from that standpoint. So... Um, I thought that was one of the coolest cars there. And then my friend had his really nice Series 1 Jaguar E-Type Roadster, 65, 66, somewhere in there. And uh, so it was a 4.2 car, beautiful car. Uh, another gentleman showed up with a real nice Series 2 Austin Healey, a BJ8. So that would be 66, 67, um, MK3000. There was a number of 356 Porsches. 
There was a Trans Am sitting there, a Super Duty 421 Pontiac, uh, a number of Woodies, which was really cool. And, of course, the boats. And we'll get into the boats here in a little bit. But anyway, I think we're going to have our guest on in a few minutes. Before we do that, we're going to play a little song, and then we're going to play a clip. So uh, we're going to go ahead and pot that up here real quick. So you're tuned into Nostalgic Reading Cars. Don't touch that dial. We will be right back. on my dresser and yes sir you know I got to get paid 25 letters on my dresser and yes sir you know I got to get paid I got 25 letters on my 25 folks gonna break the bank Exidius and his friends first set speed records on the dry lakes in Southern California. But they always had their eyes on Utah's Bonneville Salt Flats. It was the ultimate goal for speed enthusiasts. Bonneville got the world's attention in 1935 when local building contractor and amateur racer Ab Jenkins set out to lure Sir Malcolm Campbell to the Salt Flats. Campbell's Rolls-Royce-powered Bluebird would eventually set a world record at 301.13 miles per hour and make news around the world. The following year, 1936, famed British driver Captain George Easton set a 24-hour speed record of 149.96 miles per hour. But Ab Jenkins had his own speed record plans. His modified Duesenberg, dubbed the Mormon Meteor, bested Easton at 153.823 miles per hour for 24 hours and 148.641 miles per hour for 48 hours. 
Jenkins, The Meteor and Bonneville became legends. Hot Rodders longed to take their cars up to the fabled salt beds. But Bonneville regulars didn't want to share the salt flats with Hot Rodders. They were considered to be juvenile delinquents. Under intense pressure from hot rod organizations, like the Southern California Timing Association, they were finally allowed a one-week trial race in the hottest part of the summer of 1949. We went up there to prove ourselves and also to, to build this Valhalla of racing. At the shop, we talked about what a great opportunity this was, and let's do something special. People were starting to use the wing-mounted or belly fuel tanks from World War II surplus airplanes to build streamlined racers. Alex and a friend transformed one of the belly tanks into a race car for themselves. He realized that winning races was good advertising for his new speed shop. He cleverly used a distinctive scallop design on his Lakester and the letters SoCal Speed Shop on its nose. What counted was how fast it went. On the second outing, he set a record of 127 miles an hour. And on his third run, upped that to 130, a new record speed in its class. Hey now and have mercy, this is Billy F. Gibbons from ZZ Top, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. All right, we're back, and you tune into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and it's uh, time to introduce our special guest for the evening. And since we're kind of on the 60s kick and the 70s kicks and the racing kick, I'm delighted to welcome my next guest to the show. He is a professional race car driver. He is also a member of the 200 Mile Club at Bonneville. So I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening my good friend, Don Kerr. Don, how are you doing? I'm great, Robert. How are you tonight? Pretty good. Well, I want to thank you for coming on the show, and I also want to thank you for uh, inviting us up to uh, the Sunnyland Boat Show this past weekend up in Tavares. That was a great show. So uh, why did you? Well, it was great to have you, and we, of course, we always appreciate seeing, uh, uh, seeing you and having you uh, promote the various things that we're working on. So it was good times. To- the first year we've been able to add cars to our event, so the uh, city of Tiberias was kind enough to open up a large grassy uh, area that we were able to fill up with cars, so it was great to see both the antique cars and the antique boats in one spot. Super. Well, why don't you give us a little background on yourself, and then we'll jump into that a little bit later, but tell us a little bit about your background, how you got into racing, and your uh, your passion for cars as well as uh, wooden boats. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a long and sordid story, but... Uh, uh, basically, I grew up in Nebraska and, and uh, in the early 70s and discovered motorcycle racing and had a lot of fun with that. And it was right when they were starting to call something uh, motocross, so we were still calling TT scrambles and other things. But uh, when I started realizing my bones weren't made out of rubber anymore, I migrated towards cars and uh, started racing primarily in sports cars in the SCCA and uh Started in Formula Fords, worked my way up through Formula Super Vs, was a Midwest champion in Super Vs in 78, and uh, was partners with a guy on my team. We ended up doing a variety of things, ended up in the Can-Am series for a few years. Really? Um, yeah, that was that was very interesting. That's that's the most exciting thing I've ever driven is a, is a you know, early 80s Can-Am car with, you know, 680 horsepower, 
230 mile an hour, just fire breathing monsters. They were just unbelievable vehicles. Somewhere along the line, I was a newspaper boy, and I get a phone call from a guy that was on my route, Dave Thompson. Dave and a buddy of his had been out to Bonneville for several years in a row just as spectators, and they happened upon a guy named A.R. Tommy Thompson from Denver, Colorado. Tommy Thompson was known as the inventor of the aluminum beer can, if you can believe that. <laughs> so he worked at Coors Brewing oh. in Colorado, and he sat down and crafted a, uh, a streamliner out of a Model A chassis. And, and with the sandbags and a hammer and aluminum, he crafted a, a streamliner body and campaigned it for a number of years out of Bonneville. He had since gotten fairly old and was not racing the car, and these two friends of mine got a hold of it, brought it back to Nebraska, and got it ready to go to Bonneville for uh, Speed Week. They got about three weeks away from going, and suddenly all of their collective wives said, you're not driving that thing. What are you, crazy? Uh-huh. And uh, I get a phone call from Dave that says, hey, you want to go to Bonneville and drive, drive a streamliner car? And uh, we went and looked at it and decided I might be able to survive a head-over crash in it, and uh, so we went to Bonneville. Had a great time ever since. Well, now take us through the process a little bit. You know, everybody thinks Bonneville is just, you know, like you run a pass and, and that's the end of it. But there's a little bit more of a story to it. So tell us a little bit about that. It, it's really quite fascinating. And, and, of course, the years that I raced, the last year I raced at Bonneville was 1988 with Don Garlitz. And I'm sure we'll get to that part of the story. But um, Bonneville Racing, I, I was listening a little bit before your break here. You guys were talking about the history of racing on the dry lakes in Southern California and, uh, and then Bonneville and guys trying to set ultimate speed records. So essentially the salt moves every year. It's, it's a liquid, but it forms into a solid and it migrates based on weather patterns, et cetera. And you're never really sure how much salt you're going to get to race on each year and the track moves. So in the days I was racing, there was a single course and what they would do is run this big flat grade over the uh, wherever the best salt was at the time and they would everybody would save their used motor oil and they'd draw a great big straight line down the salt for you to kind of eye yourself down the course and they the scta would set up some timing lights and a tower and uh one car on the course at the time generally today they run multiple courses uh, all starting from the same point for safety factors but they have so many cars and bikes running now that they just can't get by with a single course it's uh, it's it's an amazing event. If you've never been to Bonneville, it's just the absolute last bastion of true amateur racing, where you will see the craziest things. Anybody's idea of what goes fast shows up at Bonneville, and it's absolutely insane. Now, when you were there back in the day, now Speed Week today is generally in. I think it's the first or second or third week in August, and I think there there might be a spring one. But so what was what was Speed Week? What, what roughly what time of year was it back when you were racing in the seventies? About, about the same time of year. Okay. Uh, it had been you know it's run by Southern California Timing Association, and they basically my understanding is they licensed that week from the from the Bureau of Land Management that has rights to the salt. So. Um, it's quite different today than it was back in the day. If anybody's seen the movie The World's Fastest Indian uh, from Burt Monroe when he brought his motorcycle up from New Zealand, an awful lot of that is a true story, and an awful lot of that footage is 
is good stuff from the old days. It, it, it's a pretty amazing experience. His, his 200-mile-an-hour record lasted for many, many years, almost as an honorarium where people just refused to race in his class because they had so much respect for what this guy accomplished out there. It's a really un- interesting story. Well, let me just digress just for a second. There's, there's, and I saw the movie, and I think there was a couple scenes where he was actually over in uh, on Daytona Beach or Ormond Beach where they were racing on the beaches, or maybe it was up north, but or I'm definitely down in New Zealand. But before there was Bonneville, or while there was Bonneville going on, what people don't realize is over here in Ormond Beach, there were actually manufacturers were actually coming down from up north racing on Ormond Beach. Trying to set land speed records back in uh, the 20s, the teens, the 20s, and the early 30s before before sure. Bonneville. Yep, yep. Uh, um, you know, the man's always wanted to just go faster. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, if you want to do it and get an ultimate speed, you want a flat surface and as tight a, tight a compound as you can get. So they look for anywhere they get clear open space. Of course, the advantage of Bonneville is it's almost unlimited open space, but you get into crunchies where the salt makes these uh, tall little hard uh, things you have to drive over so um man's always just wanted to go faster and bonneville turns out to be about the best place in the world to try it well now tell us because it you know like i said we people think it's just a pass but it's basically almost like a five mile run right so tell us take us through the process a little bit okay i'm sure the the course varies each year depending upon how much good salt they have but on a really good year you may get up to a 10-mile course. So what do I mean by that? You, most of these vehicles, especially streamliners like I was driving, are they're the most unlimited uh, form of straight-line racing. Um, and most of them have to be pushed off the start by a tow truck or a, a push vehicle. So in my case, we were lighting these things up at you know, 60, 70 miles an hour. You're in first gear and some truck is pushing you, and you finally think you're at a speed where you might be able to keep the revs up long enough to get first gear to accelerate, and you light it up. So a pass starts at the zero mark and goes to two miles. At the two-mile stage, there's a light. That's the first light, and they measure you from the two to the two and a quarter, which is called the quarter-mile speed. And for most motorcycles and most cars, two miles is enough distance for them to reach their ultimate speed based on wind loads and horsepower and all those things. The the taller cars, the streamliners, et cetera, need more distance. So now they measure you from the two to the three, the three to the four, and the four to the five, and then you have essentially five miles to stop in case you have brake failure or your parachute doesn't come out or whatever. But you rarely get 10 miles. The interesting thing is in order to set a record in, in to get into the 200-mile-an-hour club, you have to break the record three times. So the first one, the first one is during the regular meet, you get a pass, and if you go over the existing record, that allows you to qualify for the next day's uh, race to, to try to, a record attempt. So all the people that have qualified from the previous day show up the next morning at dark 30, and one at a time they make a pass down the course, and then they stack up at the far end of the course, and after everybody has made their down pass, they all turn around and make a return pass. Of course, the reason they do that is to negate any wind load. So if somebody's got a 30-mile-an-hour tail, tail speed, you know that would be a heck of an advantage over other folks in future years. So you make a two-way pass on your record run, but they average the speed over the same one-mile piece of real estate, which is interesting. 
So let's say you're in a you're in a streamliner and they're measuring you from the three to the the two to the three, three to the four, four to the five. Your might your best speed might be in the four to the five, but the four to the five mile piece of real estate on your return trip is the two to the three. So you're not done accelerating. So lots of people actually send their records in that middle middle section of the three mile course. If that makes any sense. Can you actually do that? Can you actually calculate that? I mean, do you know like when you're sitting in the car, you know exactly where you're at, right? So you know where you're at the two mile, three mile, four mile, five miles. You know that when you're in the car. You know, I hate to admit this to you on air, Robert, but because you're going Bonneville so fast, drivers, <laughs> Bonneville drivers may not be the sharpest knives in the drawer. <laughs> I, mean, I, I could, uh, I, I think I could train you or a monkey to drive at Bonneville pretty easily. Uh, okay, you don't have to know much until something goes wrong. Uh, so, um, yeah, you know where you are on the course because they have big signs. Um, okay. posted at those measuring points. But here's here's the really strange thing. I mean, my, my tallest passes, I think, were in the 240, 245 range. At that kind of speed, and I, I don't remember the distances between those signs, but they call it threading the needle. It, it's quite difficult to go through a, let's call it, at least 50-yard wide uh, set of two signs. It can be very difficult to coax a car through that at those kinds of speeds. Salt is slippery. And you never get hooked up 100%, uh, as, as Don Garlitz figured out when we raced together out there. That was quite a challenge. But uh, you you know where you are, but you are very busy driving the car, and so you you don't know your speed. Generally, an engineer tells you, I want you at this RPM range, and if you reach this range, get a taller gear. And sometimes you go to a taller gear and then, the, the engine won't pull it, so you back down to the lower gear and try to pull more out. That makes sense. Okay, so you're in constant communication with, let's say, the pits, so to speak. And, 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 back back and, in the day, absolutely not. No? We, we had no radios. We had none of that gear. You, you, <laughs> all of that stuff is good old fancy modern stuff now, but back in the 70s, we uh, no, we didn't have any of that equipment. You were on your own. Wow. Yeah, that would be and, like. And after a pass, what's really hilarious is you make a when the guys push you off the line and you light up at sixty miles an hour and you make your pass. Uh, it seems like it takes a week for them to get down to pick you up and see how it went. And of course, the club, the SCTA, are doing the timing. And so when you come back into the into the hot pits, then you go get your timing slip and you see how you actually did. But you can guess on it based on your RPMs and what what gear you were in. Now, do you do you, can you practice? For this? No. 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 Um, well, not at Bonneville. Uh, when we built the Garlitz car, we practiced at a uh, kind of a retired Air Force, uh, old airport course somewhere in Nebraska. Um, but <clears throat> a practice run, there's no such thing as a practice run at Bonneville. Every run is live. However, when you first show up, I don't care what credentials you have. My first pass at Bonneville, I was already a, and a top, an A licensed driver with SCT, well, I'm sorry, with SCCA, so I could pilot anything up to a Formula One car through the FIA rules. Uh, but that meant nothing at all to the Bonneville folks. So you have to start with them, not a driver's school, but uh, they want you to make your first pass. Back in the day, I think it was, you know, 125 or something. And then they would graduate you up in 25 mile an hour increments until you got to. I think 150, and then they said, "Okay, if you can drive at 150, you can probably drive as fast as you want." Have at it. Oh, okay. So, 
Yeah. Now, when you're at the fact, other, oh, go ahead. Go I'm ahead. sorry. Well, I was going to say when you're well, at the they, other, they made they made garlic to a couple practice. <laughs> That's an interesting story. We can't wait to get to that one. But okay, so let's yeah. say you made your pass down. Now, are you still running? Is there a push truck down the other thing, or how do? Because you, you have to make your second pass back. So does somebody push you back up to that speed again before you hit the the traps? Before you basically start? Yes. Okay, so there's yeah. a push vehicle down the other Most, end as well. Yeah, most of these cars are geared so high, there's no way you could drive them away from the line. Th- think about your production car that you drive today, right. if it's got a four-speed, five-speed, whatever it is. Start in top gear at, from a dead stop. Let me know how that works out. It doesn't work. So, <laughs> no, you'd fry a clutch. clutch. And so even, even lighting these things up in first gear at 60 miles an hour, you'd accelerate, but you're you're bogging the thing so frequently you'd push in the clutch and rev the engine again in order to clean out the engine because they get loaded up. You know, it's, so it's um, it's kind of hard to do, but once you get once you get accelerating in one gear and you start coming on the cam, uh, then it's not a problem. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the motor because I know you're a wrench as well. So just give us an idea. So let's say my my average, let's just say full size 1970 Galaxy has got a 287 or 30 open gear, and the car's capable of going, let's say 120 miles an hour at uh, 2500 RPMs. Put that in perspective for your 150, 200-mile-an-hour car. What kind of gear are you running in that thing? And, then, of course, this car that you guys were racing, the Streamliner, it was a flathead, correct? An old V8 flathead? Yes. Yeah. The, <clears throat> the guys who started this program, uh, this, this uh, my, my paper route uh, customer, Dave Thompson, had been drag racing a, a de-altered roadster. In fact, he was national champion in a de-altered roadster in the late '50s with a, you know, Model T chassis and a Ford flathead motor. So um, he was a big flathead nut. And a lot of people may not know this, but the, whoever whoever achieves the highest speed with a Ford flathead motor is known throughout the racing world as Mister Flathead or Doctor Flathead. For as long as he holds that top honor, oh really? And Dave Thompson held that for five or six years with these motors he built. He was using things like Arden overhead valve conversion sets, Zora Arcus Duntoff, the guy that invented the Corvette mm-hmm. uh, design, so real early Hemi motors basically. And he was putting superchargers on top of them. We had 671 GMC blowers with a with a stack of six Strombergs on top of that. I mean the 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 blower and carburetor setup was about twice the size of the engine. <laughs> um, so top gear, these things, you know, we were running a four-speed board crash box of the, you know, 70s vintage, but then we had a, a quick change style rear end. So I have no idea what gear ratios we were running, but Dave would sit down with a slide rule, not a calculator. He would use <laughs> a slide rule to figure out what the next gear change should be. Wow. Wow, yeah. I'm guessing they were probably in the in the low hundreds, you know. So, and then yeah. fourth or fifth would have been point five or point eight or something like that. Just extremely tall gears. So. Hey, I was just the dummy driver. They just told me which direction to go. <laughs> the gas. Point it and stick your foot to the wood, right? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. So, so how'd you get into? Uh, let's talk about wooden boats a little bit because you have a beautiful wooden boat. And uh, and you're gracious enough to give my son and I a ride on that thing a couple of years ago. So tell us a little bit about your wooden boat and wooden boat uh, culture here in uh, Lake County. Well, thanks. That's that's a interesting story, and I'm not sure how I developed that disease. My 
my wife would tell you I have antique car disease. Then she started telling me I had antique boat disease. Now she just says I have transportation disorder. So, okay. I like that. Um, transportation disorder. Okay, good. That's it. <laughs> my first wooden boat was a 37-foot Chris Craft Constellation. That was a cabin cruiser I bought in Seattle and had it shipped to Phoenix. And Everybody will tell you you can't make a wooden boat live in Phoenix, and they, they may be right. We use it for about 10 years, but... Now I'm playing around with uh, runabouts. I have a 1929 Sea Lion that's 28 feet long and has the original Scripps 202 engine in it. This is a 678 cubic inch flathead six. It is just a tank, uh, but it's a beautiful all mahogany boat. This thing is about 90% original wood and we just thoroughly enjoy it. There's a remarkable organization internationally called the acbs the anti-classic boat society and uh, people can find information on that just by going on the web and looking for acbs.org um so we have a real active chapter here in uh, central florida near orlando called the Sunnyland chapter and every year we host what is arguably the largest antique boat uh show or festival in the country uh, it's been going on for 37 years, and it's just a it's just a remarkable event. We have sponsors, vendors, flea markets, parts exchange, and normally we have in the area of about 200 boats on display at this event. So the thing for the thing I would love for your audience to sort of grasp hold of here is you know I'm a car guy and a boat guy. What I see happening in the car world is is just stunning. So all your members out there are looking for another barn fine car. Guys, they don't exist anymore. I mean, we're, we're down to restoring uh, four-door Falcon station wagons. <laughs> cool. You know, it's just so. But in the boat world, there are barn finds. In fact, there's ton of, tons of them. There's even a publication called Boat. Barnyard boats, that's not it. Uh, there are publications where you can you can go online and see lists of free boats. Want one? Just come pick this one up. Um, what's happening is our audience of, of boat guys are now in their mid to late 80s because they started playing with these things in the 40s and 50s, and they're dying off, and their widows are inheriting these magnificent boats. And we're not seeing the young guys grasping towards them. And, and what they don't realize is these things are unbelievably rare. If we, if you talk about, like you were talking about that Bonneville uh, a little bit ago before the break, that belongs to a neighbor of mine, Jack Magri. Okay, so that's one of, what, 2,000 built or something? My Sea Lion, the company that built Sea Lion, called Sea Lion, uh, in 1929, their total production run in three years was less than 100 boats. There's 14 of them left on the planet. There's two of this model, two. So things, these boats are incredibly rare. They're a ball to play with, and they've actually become very affordable. So I'm, I think young car guys ought to become young boat guys. It's a great hobby. It's a lot of fun. Uh, hey, you'll get no argument from me, and I think they're actually really, really classy. They're easy to work on. I mean, it's not complicated. Yep. No. So yeah. the what's the origin of the motor in your sea line? He says it's like six hundred cubic inch inline six. And I think about that. That's almost a hundred cubic inches per cylinder. Yeah. And when I displayed my boat this last weekend, I, I have a second engine, so I always display 
a piston and rod assembly I just lay out by the boat so people could see the size of the lungs in this thing. It looks like <laughs> a coffee can, and and the uh, the 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 rods look about like you you know from the tip of your finger down to your elbow. So this thing at at 35 miles an hour out on the out on the lake is turning about 1800 rpm it just thumps along but it's got all the torque on the plant so scripps was a uh, manufacturer of marine engines and uh, the 202 is a is, was a very popular model back in the day but I, it, they are uh, just tremendous straight six with two uh, plugs per cylinder big uh, uh 12 uh, 12 hole distributor cap um, low RPM, lots of torque, lots of power. Sounds good too. Now we got about a minute or so sure. left. Fiberglass boats out of the fifties. How popular are they? They're starting to become very popular. And and if I were a twenty twenty five ish year old car guy, that's immediately what I would migrate towards because the the ACBS now allows anything that's at least twenty five years old in into the program. For judging and for events and you can buy really cool old finned looking uh, fiberglass boats for 500 bucks and if you spend enough time and money and effort on them you, you can really create a showstopper i noticed on your site you had a picture of the of an aerial uh arian uh craft that won a big award at the amelia island show and so these things are just great finds and, and i really encourage you guys Go, go to ACBS, Anti-Classic Boat Society, dash sunnyland.org, and you can see some of these boats on display and get help in how to find them, how to restore them, et cetera. Now, the Sunnyland event is once a year, correct, up there in uh, Tavares? That's correct. Yep, usually the third or fourth uh, weekend of March. Okay. And then, uh, you know, it's funny because, and I guess I think we got about a, less than a minute left, but... You would think that Lake Tahoe, Minnesota, you know, places like that would be huge, huge boat cultures for wooden boats and antique boats, but it's actually kind of migrating here down south of Florida because of all the freshwater lakes, well, right? They are huge, but the Sunnyland chapter is actually the largest chapter in the country, and it's because all of these guys from New York and Michigan, et cetera, winter here in central florida and it's because we have such a great boating community here so we have the largest population of antique wooden boats in the country right here in central florida near tiberi's mount dora excellent now the other thing you want to also mention real quick too is that the parts availability and serviceability of these boats is also uh relatively accessible and economical correct yeah, it depends upon what model you select, but if you go after an older Chris Craft with an MBL engine, there's guys making reproduction parts, and that stuff is readily available. You want to play with a sea lion like mine, not quite so much, but there's still old-timers out there that have this stuff stuffed away. Super. Well, Don, I yep. want to thank you very much for taking some time out and hanging out with us here at Nostalgic Radio Cars. I certainly enjoyed the boat show. Look forward to it next year. And then if people, again, if people want to find out more about it real quick, they go to ACBS, which ACBS. is... ACBS. Dash, yeah, Antique Classic Boat Society, acbs-sunnyland.com, or if you want the national site, just go to acbs.com. There's all kinds. There's ads for boats for sale. There's help. There's libraries. All kinds of great information. Super. All right. I want to thank my special guest, Don Kerr, for uh, hanging out with us tonight. Don, you take care. I'll see you uh, next time I'm up in Mount Dora. And, uh, again, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in. Don't forget to tell your friends every Tuesday night here on the Tantalk Radio Network, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. See you at some of the car shows, boat shows, music shows, and...
In the meantime, everybody stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. Downtown Dave. I'm not here to make a record, you dumb cracker. They broadcast me out on the radio. WTAN, Clearwater. FM 106.1. WCF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills. FM 104.3. Listen.